Thank you for turning back into the Walk On Pod. This is now episode 10, where we have another very special guest with us. Uh, he's a NCAA champion, three-time NBA champion, and now currently a, a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. We have Danny Green with us today. Uh, appreciate you being on with us, man. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It's, it's a, a true honor and pleasure, man. I've been lucky. to Appreciate the introduction as well. Yes, sir. Hey, we try. We try. Jared, yeah, big, big, big ups to you for uh, uh, nah. getting this set up and everything, so... Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah no, he's up to. Uh, we got a shout out, uh, Marquise. So, yeah, man, Keith. he's doing what happened. Shout out yeah. to Keith, man. Yeah, shout out to Keith, yeah. Tommy. Um, so uh, do you want to just jump right in? Just get straight to it. Jared. All right, cool. Um, so we kind of want to get you, ask you about your journey, and kind of you've had a, you know, this is what year fourteen, the NBA, right? So yeah, um. Kind of obviously we know, like, you know, you went to North Carolina, won a national championship, um, was a great high school player, all that stuff. And um, we want to know, like, just to kind of start us from the beginning, what was it like going from uh, McDonald's All-American to winning a title at UNC? Obviously making that, you know, being a highly touted player and then being able to, like, turn that into a championship, which most guys don't get to do. Yeah, man. Uh, um you know, every level of the game changes. It gets faster, stronger, guys get smarter. I wasn't a high-level recruit in high school, um, not until my senior year, so I didn't get highly recruited. I, I went to, you know, like they had the camps back then. They had ABCD camps, Nike camps. So I went to ABC camps, you know, a couple of years. I got invited uh, before going into my junior year. I did decently. Um, I got recruited by probably, like, a lot of mid-majors and low D1 schools. Um, but I think I started getting highly recruited. I had a really good year after my junior year, going into my junior year, summer, going into my senior year. That's when I got recruited by you know, some bigger time schools, and that's when Carolina came on the board. Um, and for me, it was it was a no-brainer because I've been a Carolina fan since I was a youngster. And you can go back to my childhood, seeing me watch, you know, wear, you know, Carolina clothes and stuff like that. My dad, he's a big fan of them. Um, so once they started recruiting me, it was, it was pretty much over. But you know, I was lucky enough to be a McDonald's All-American, which was another goal of mine. And uh, played in the game, had a lot of fun. But when, when you go to a school like that during that time, obviously it's a lot different now. All the top recruits are going there, so it's going to be a battle to just play. Um, but I believe myself. I went there. I played a decent amount my freshman year. Uh, not a lot. They had won a national championship before I walked in. So the expectations were pretty high. Everybody had left. Um, was, I was in the class with Tyler Hansborough. Uh, Marcus Kenyar, Bobby Fraser, Mike Copeland. So we had a good squad, a couple of McDonald Americans. Um, but I didn't start. I played them out, but didn't start. The following year, uh, we brought another six six McDonald's All Americans. So we brought in Wayne Ellington, Ty Lawson, Brandon Wright, uh, Deion Thompson, Alex Stevenson. Um, so th we had a squad. We were very deep. And we also had juniors and seniors there that were there um, the year before, too. Uh, so I didn't play much at all my sophomore year. Um, I had to pretty much go back to the drawing board, figure it out. Junior, um, I was I thought about transferring after my sophomore year. That's how much little that's how little I played. Um, and going getting close to home back in New York. Uh, but junior year, I sort of worked on my game all summer. Junior uh, was like six men a year type thing. There wasn't a real thing in college, but um, I still didn't start. But I ended up making an impact and playing well, coming off the bench uh, for my school. Um, we had a hell of a senior year. Got a chance to win each year. We went further in the tournament, so I got a chance to win a title by my senior. Went to the final four junior year, lost in the final four senior year, won a national championship. Um, I was drafted in the second round, 
um, from there, the work kind of started over again. Game gets faster, stronger. The guys get smarter. Uh, Cleveland, they had a stacked squad. You know, Shaq was there, Rom was there, of course, and, um, you know, Anthony Parker, Mo Williams, Zajunas Jagowskis, Andy Varajal, Delonte West. Um, you know, we had a squad. So um, I wasn't projected to play at all. So I, once again, I go back to the bottom of the totem pole, not playing at all. You know, and um, everybody's like, you know, just stay positive, stay ready. Your time will come. After that year, LeBron made the decision to leave, went to Miami, and then the whole organization kind of changed. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the path for me in college. But after that, after that, you know, getting to the league, um, kind of starting over, there was a lot more going on, too. It was a roller coaster. And, um, you know, after LeBron left, a lot of stuff changed. I got cut. I was at home for a couple months, played in the G League, you know, which was the D League back then. Um, got called up later on to a team, kind of had the – the lockout happened after that, so I went and played overseas. Uh, I had to come back, remake the team. Um, yeah, man, the rest from there, the rest was history. I was in San Antonio, they gave me an opportunity, and uh, one injury from Manu gave me an opportunity to showcase what I could do. And from there on out, I, I was prepared for that moment. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was in San Antonio for seven years. And that's that's crazy, man. I honestly didn't know all that. Um, mm. that's huge, huge part of kind of what we talk about and here in the walk on pod and just being able to have that mentality of like the work never stops and always mm-hmm. being ready. Cause you know, uh, when you're a walk on in college or even when you're McDonald's all American college, like you never know when that moment's going to come and you got to be prepared. Um, exactly. yeah, and to kind of jump off of that, um, obviously you, uh, create a good platform for us to talk about is like, what do you think allowed you to become like an elite role player? Uh, like from, I guess, from North Carolina to even obviously in the league, everything specialized and you found your niche and you really like flourished in that and now considered one of the best role players in the league. The fact that I was a role player my whole career, I think allowed it. I mean, I was only a star player in high school. Even then we had great guy, like we had a great team. So my high school team was number two in the country for a short period of time before we lost in the States or in, yeah, in the finals. Um, we had a lot of guys go D1. So I was, it wasn't just a one man show. My coach never let it be, or never let me be a one man show. So it was like, I had to share, the, like I had to share the ball, share the court, share the, 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 the floor, uh, not be the highlight um, since high school. So when I went to college, started all over, I was a role player. Um, since the beginning, all the way through. And even when I was finally got a chance to start my senior year, um, I was like the fifth option. So we had Ty Lawson, Wayne Ellington on the wing, Ty Ansborough. Ty Ansborough was number one option, Ty Lawson and Wayne, number two and three. And then we had Deion Thompson. You know, back then, those days, we threw the ball in the post. So it had to go inside beforehand. So it wasn't going to Ty, it was going to Deion. Um, so I was said I was the fourth, fifth option on that team. So I had to find my role, find my, where I could fit in. And from there on out, it was always that. Even in Cleveland, you know, I didn't play much, but in San Antonio, you know, Pop doesn't have any one-man shows or egos. You know, he has two or three guys that, you know, that are really good. They're all-stars. We had the big three, but even then, those guys were glorified role superstar role players. And that's how he made it seem. Even though they were superstars to us and to the world, the way they act, acted and carried themselves, um, they didn't have any egos. And the way Pop coached, was there is no one-man show. There are no superstars here, and everybody had to do it collectively. Um, so by the time that came for me, I was prepared for it because I've been doing it my whole life. And, you know, they kind of made it easy for me to do it. There, They, they kind of 
uh, I wouldn't say allowed me or turned me into, but yes, they definitely turned me into a professional. And they find ways to put you in spots to make you shine and, and be successful in what you're, you're good at and what you're doing. Um, you know, so they, they put you in places where you only have to, you know, play towards your strengths. Did you, was there a, I mean, I'm sure there was, but were there like a lot of moments of frustration where you feel like you could do more, you wanted to do more? And was there something or someone that like helped you like kind of temper that feeling and understand like the long play? For sure. Plenty of times. Um, All throughout my high school career, my college career, I always thought like, I didn't think I should be the man, but I thought I could definitely bring more to the table and show more to the table. Like, you know, even in San Antonio, um, not that I need to dribble, but I, I was capable of dribbling and making a play. But it's not what they needed me or wanted me to do even yeah. in Carolina. You know, they didn't need me to play pick and roll. Or, or, I mean, I'm sure if I was able to be groomed into that, I would have got better at it. And same in San Antonio. If I was groomed to, like, have more freedom to do that, I would have got better at it and been, like, more of a playmaker and, you know, end shooter. Um, but I, I had an interesting question asked me today, and I'm in Memphis now with the young guys. You know, Dylan Brooks was, you know, what's, the, what's the key to having a long career? And, you know, there's many things that run through my mind when he asked me that. But I think the biggest thing is, is knowing who you are, finding out who you are and, and staying true to that. So the sooner you find that out and the sooner you become, you know, less delusional into thinking that I can be a superstar, I am a superstar. And, you know, obviously when you're young, you have room to grow and work in your game so you can showcase things. Um so obviously do your strengths, do what you're good at. But every time we work on like one thing that's your weak at, try to get better at it and do it and try to show like your growth. But when you come to certain teams, they already have their superstars. You know, they bring you in to do what you do well. So do that. And I said, I, I probably, I'm going to say stopped working on my game, but I stopped trying to add a bunch of stuff to my game. Like <laughs> seven, <laughs> like, to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to try to work on, you know, pick and roll or between like outside, handled the ball, worked on ball handling and did all those things. Um, you know, I would add, you know, working on a floater game or add a pull-up. But now the game is a certain way. Once you figure out what the, what the game is and what your game is, that's all I need to work on at this point because that's what they're bringing me to do. They're bringing me to play defense to make sure I stay in shape, have my, my foot quickness and lateral quickness, and offensively, space the floor. So I better be good at perfecting and staying sharp at knocking down shots and getting to the corner. Obviously, you got to have a counter, so one dribble pull-up, one hurt, and having a floater. But making moves off the, dri- off the dribble and trying to play pick and roll and, and dunking the ball at, that's not what I should be working on because it's not going to happen often. Just hit so your threes. I, yeah, the key to longevity is, is, is knowing who you are and staying true to that and, and to just working on that and sharpening that every year. When would you say that. Uh, When would you say that you figured that out, like what you needed to do to now be where you are year 14, 15? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, because most kids, even me, I was even I was above. I was well aware of who I am. I was never really like, oh, I think I'm a star. I, I was not delusional in that sense. But even then, as a youngster, as a competitor, you believe you can be great and do more. And obviously, right. it takes certain, certain systems to be like, look, we know you can, but this is what we need from you. We need to give yourself up for that. Everybody gives themselves up for the better of the team. And um, you know, I fought it for, for for years. You know, I fought it for a while. You know, even mentally, like. And I know I should probably do this more than I can work on this. There was one year where I actually came back and had to handle the ball a little more and get a little more of the bounce. Um, I think it might have been the year Kawhi was out or hurt some. Um, but outside of that, uh, yeah, probably right after that, as I was getting older, probably when I got to Toronto, I didn't need to, you know, I still worked on my game. I still do. But once I got in the game, I, I knew that what I needed to do was stay within the offense and, and find my uh, 
you know, find my spots, you know, catch and shoot here, catch and shoot there. Maybe one to pull up, yeah. you know, Florida game or probably it took probably toward the end of my career, probably the last three or four years is where um, it started to, I wouldn't say sink in, but I started to just accepting it and embracing yeah. it the most instead of like, and that says that not saying I didn't work on my game, but <laughs> I didn't, in the summertime, I didn't continue to work on like all those things that everybody does and drill. You know, I worked on what I know I was great at and what I was good at and what they're bringing me in to do. Because in Toronto, there's some more freedom. But when I got to LA, it was like, you know, they're bringing you in here for one reason. That, you know, it's like, oh, you should do it. You know, your family and friends, outsiders, you should have this to your game. You should be doing this more. It's like, bro. No, bro, why? not. <laughs> why? Well, they didn't <laughs> I don't need to do that. that for one. Two, like, that's not my game. That's not what I need to do. It's not my game. I'm doing just fine what I'm doing, and I'm making good money doing that, and I don't need to do any because they're not bringing me in to do anything else. Uh, so I would probably say around, you know, Toronto, L.A. years when I first, for sure, when I got to L.A., it was like, yeah. I, I don't need to. But even then, so that Phil Handy there, he was great. So he worked on my game quite a bit there, even still. I, I miss working with him because it's fun to be able to see or just work on and do those things. It's fun to work on your game and have those in your repertoire if you need it. Um and to yourself, just you just have to have like you know work on your game with yourself, and to mentally have that confidence. Like, okay, I still got this. I can still do this. Um, not saying other organizations don't do that, but like they're not gonna have you doing a drill workout one on one or some ball handling stuff like Phil does, yeah. you know, just so you get rhythm and feel. Um, you know, that's just more of a, a ego thing. You know, when you're yeah. working on those. You know, it's so, nice to know you still got it. Yeah, it's more. Huh. Thing. Like, I can still do this. I got some. I got some. <laughs> got some wiggle left. Yeah, but. <laughs> Don't need you, to. You, you can bring it out. You can bring it out in yeah. Memphis. We'll see. I doubt it, man. <laughs> I doubt I'll need to, especially since I come back from knee injury. I'm gonna probably keep it simple. Yeah. Still stronger, yeah. but let Ja know. get downhill and kick it to you. That's yeah. it. I'll get to the three point line, and if I don't have a shot, I'm gonna drive, kick, find somebody else. They play very good basketball the right way here, and yeah. the, the thing is, it makes it easy to be you when you're playing with a lot of other guys that are very similar to you or play the right brand of basketball because. Yeah. You don't have the first shot. You can give it up. You know you'll get it back a second time. Now, in other organizations, <laughs> if you don't shoot it right away, you may not get another shot. And if you dribble and kick it, it may not come back to you. So, um, yeah. I think that that comes into play when it comes to guys taking poor shots or bad shots or shooting percentages going up and down in certain organizations, certain systems, um, you know, because they, they're probably pressing a little bit more. That's uh, the other one of the other things we kind of wanted you to touch on is uh, what do you think the biggest difference you've seen between the good coaches and the great coaches that you've played for? We won't, we won't, don't have to name any names or anything like that if you don't want, but like, what do you think the biggest difference is? And even bad coaches, like, again, you don't have to name any names, but what do you think the biggest difference is? The, the level of expectation, but the discipline factor. You know, the, I think the more successful ones uh, had a higher expectation for discipline, and they they made sure they they stuck, they had the basics, and guys perfected that, and guys, um, you know, held, held that to a high standard. You know, of creating great habits and doing things the right way. Um, you know, obviously, I haven't played for many or any really bad organizations or bad coaches, but the ones weren't that to me weren't as great as the ones I would say lackadaisical, but they allow too much freedom sometimes, um, you know, that type of thing. And I'm not saying that though, so a lot of times those are a good thing because you need that within, you know, a lot of coaches get freedom, but they also had a discipline. So you can find the balance between both where guys can play free and have fun, but also have great, the great, you know, the right habits and, and be disciplined and day to day. 
um, you'll get good execution. And um, those to me are said the better coaches. How how hard is Pop to play for? <laughs> he's probably the hardest person to play for in our league, and there's a reason why. There's a reason why he's great. Yeah, um, not easy. Not easy. I, I imagine as he's got older and got a different different generation of kids coming through that in his, his older age that he's probably had to change some of the things he's he's done some of his theories and some of his approaches but um yeah the great ones are always hard to play for yeah no, so talking idea. about like those great ones like obviously pop you've been in the locker room with with a bunch of these great basketball minds what now coming into you being a guy on this younger team that's up and coming, like a lot of hype around surrounding the Grizzlies and everything, what are you bringing, kind of piecing it, each locker room that you've taken from, what are you bringing to them that you feel like could bring them to the next level? That, that, that same, I said what I was discussing that, you know, that I learned in San Antonio and other places, but that professionalism, um, that discipline, um, and for this team, the maturity and getting them to grow and understand what it takes, they're very good, they're very talented. I just think, you know, so I just need a little more maturity, uh, a little bit more uh, from a different, you know, refreshing, you know, face or a different person. Um, but a lot of that takes takes um, what, what you need to win, um, making the winning plays. They know all that stuff, the little things, but just just being um, – so when it comes down to playoffs, the game slows down a lot different, like slows down a lot more. And the teams that are the most disciplined are the ones that are executed, the ones that's going to win the game. So that comes with maturity and time. So um, the regular season, you can play free. You can run up and down. You can, you know, you're going to get more fouls. You're going to get more threes. Playoffs, it slows down. So the, the more mature, disciplined teams are the ones that are going to come out on top. And that's pretty much the thing that I'm going to try to, you know, push to them. And Memphis has been missing that that vet. I feel like they didn't have any, like, older guys in the league last year, and they were still killing all year long. Yeah, um, so that's what I'm here to bring. I'm here to try to be that vet and try to get them to to be mentally and physically and mature enough to to win some playoff games. That's huge. Um, based on what you just said, we, I'm going to go to a specific point. Um, is so after you guys lost the heartbreak in 2013 to Miami. Yeah. What What do you think allowed you guys to pick yourself up and like come back in 2014 and like absolutely demolish like everybody? Because like it was like clear, like halfway through the year, like oh, like they're they're not gonna lose. Like, so what do you feel like allowed you guys to do that? Because most teams can't do that. Memphis had some heartbreak losses last year, and it's like, you know, they mm-hmm. have to come back and and find a way to battle through it. Even or how Boston did this year. We were lucky enough to keep everybody together. Like even OKC, they had went to the finals, you know, one year, and I think they had never went back. I don't know if they kept James the same year, but teams change all the time. We were fortunate enough to bring everybody back, and everybody came back with a chip in their shoulder, and the same mentality, um, to be better and 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 get back and get to that stage. Um, so <clears throat> us being on a contract allowed us to be together, us, you know, figuring out and us having guys with less egos that wanted to make it work and knew that we were capable of it and to come back um, to figure it out uh, allowed us to be great. But Pop, of course, himself, and then, you know, our our big three, all of our, everybody that was there the previous two or three years um, allowed us to to really hone in and, and and to keep that chip on our shoulder. And obviously Pop reminded us every day of how we, you know, we got to that stage. We prepared every game. Every regular season game, 
we practiced as if we were playing, you know, Miami Heat in game seven. So um, having him and, and having the same group together and being healthy uh, allowed us to keep that chip and that anger and that motivational um, mentality to want to get back there and, and get it done. Do you think Pop had to put, didn't have to push as hard that year because, or do you think he pushed, he pushed harder? I don't think, I would never know if he didn't have to, but he pushed extremely hard and I think it was necessary and what we needed. Yeah. Um, times where he kind of backed off because he felt like he knew he was pushing too hard, pushing really hard. Um, but I, I think it was necessary for us to, to keep that sense of urgency and that chip all year round. So, Danny, talking about the championship with the Spurs, you kind of like hit on like what the like obviously you've won three championships one of the Spurs Raptors and the Lakers we can talk about the bubble after this because that's probably a whole nother aspect but talk about like the differences between like the Spurs when you guys won the championship and then like the approach with the Raptors and how you guys got it done just kind of like what it was because obviously both great teams great defenses great ball movement whatever just kind of explain like what the differences in those teams were and why they were able to be so successful very similar um, because we're the, we were not the favorites to win. We're the underdog mentality. Um, yeah. In Toronto, we were one of the top teams in the East, um, but we weren't predicted to win an uh, NBA championship. Um, you know, we had a lot of young guys with some inexperience. They had to make – usually it's hard for teams with one year together to make something special like that happen after a trade. So um, the mentality was pretty much the same. But for us, me and Kawhi, it was, you know, we got to prove ourselves that we can be successful and, do it outside of San Antonio's, um, you know, system, that, that organization. Um, and so, yeah, we, we came in with that mentality of, you know, we can, we can make some special, we can do this um, on our, on our own, as, like ourselves somehow, but not alone. Obviously we had a good yeah. group of guys, a good coaching staff, um, but we wanted to bring on what we knew to those guys. And our, obviously we were the young guys in San Antonio. We get to Toronto, we automatically became the, the vets real fast. Right. Like, Older guys, so it happened really fast for me, becoming young and old. So I went from young <laughs> to one of the vets really fast in L.A. It was, you know, I was there for a year, but we had a lot of veterans there. And once I left L.A., I was the old guy after that. I mean, yeah. Philly, everybody was younger. Now I'm old as hell compared to everybody. <laughs> They're like the second youngest team in the league last year. Um, so becoming the old guy happened very fast. Becoming the vet happened very fast when I came to Toronto. So I had to teach these guys, learn them, um, you know, what it takes to win and make create a winning atmosphere um, not just for regular season, but the playoffs and getting over that hump. And at that point, I think Bron already had left to go west. So, you know, they kept losing to, to Bron and Cleveland East. But even if – I feel like if he was still there, we would have been pretty good. We had, you know, Mika yeah. Y. So, if he was still in Cleveland, I think, you know, we would have helped him get over that hump. But Milwaukee was a beast. Of course, everybody um, thought they were going to do something, make it make it out the east or be special. Uh, Philly was another monster in the east that um, had Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah. Bias. JJ, Joel, um, they had a really good team. Um, and then, of course, Golden State, that was KD, Clay, and Steph. They weren't supposed to lose any games ever. You know, so since the day KD stepped on, on court. So, you know, but, you know, a lot of championships have happened where you never know what's going to happen. Like in the playoffs, you don't know what's going to happen, who's going to be healthy, who's not. Yeah. Um, and they weren't fully healthy. So that, that, that worked in our favor. Obviously, we wanted to play them fully healthy, but they're even there, some of their championships, they had years or teams or times where they play teams that weren't 100 percent healthy so definitely um, but nobody ever remembers that they remember part of it but everybody just remembers you won a championship I'm like oh they don't put asterisks oh they played unhealthy teams so we weren't you know predicted to win the east or, or beat any of some of those teams in the east or nor if we did make it out these to beat Golden state who had a three-headed monster yeah 
Uh, talk about how insane was that shot in Game Seven that Kawhi hit against Philly? <laughs> it was. Um, <laughs> it was a. It was a big one because if we went into overtime the way that momentum was going, I don't know if we would have came out because Philly was rolling and playing well. Um, and when he shot it, I don't think anybody believed it was going in right away. That's a crazy shot. From the angle of it, the way he faded, the way he shot it. And yeah, Joel contesting seven foot, 300 pound guy flying, jumping as high as he can to contest it. And when he shot it, it was kind of so far off left, but then it was literally felt like a movie because it went in fast on TV, but in the, in the court, it felt like it was 10 seconds for the ball to drop <laughs> in the damn hole. We're like, everybody's holding each other. You know, in the movie, you see the ball bounce up. And yeah. It was like, and when it finally went in, everybody went nuts. Um, and that, that that was us getting over the hump and getting, you know, Toronto over that hump, getting to the, you know, because yeah. they kept losing in second round, first round. They never got to the yeah. Western Conference Finals, let alone the finals. So once we got there, we got to Western Conference Finals. That was their championship for them. We knew work still needed to be done, but they never been to Western Conference Finals. And once we got to the finals, you know, fans, the city, the fan base was so excited. They're like, yo, they were, they were just happy that we got to both those stages. Um, <laughs> but for a lot of us, the work wasn't done. So but that shot was, was huge. Probably the biggest shot, at least top five biggest shots in history of the game. It's crazy. Did you expect him, the Kawhi, to, to turn into the player he is? And like, cause that championship run was insane. Obviously, he was huge with the Spurs in 2014, but like 2019, he was really, he was really throwing it on the back. Yeah, you mean in that year or just overall? Because I don't think anybody... overall, but like especially that year because he was really locked in, like I've never ever seen before. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think anybody ever seen Kawhi come in the, or turning out to be the player that he was when he first got drafted. You know, he's just a defensive guy, had long arms. He had a weird build. He wasn't offensively gifted, but he really worked on his game. And they groomed him and they gave him the keys in San Antonio to be able to, you know, take it to that next level, be the offensive all-star threat. Each year he just kept getting better and better. So once I knew what he could do and was capable of in San Antonio, I knew he'd bring that. I didn't think he'd step it up even a level higher than that. But, um, you know, he was getting his body. He was bright, resting. He, you know, the reason why they rested him games and he didn't play back-to-backs, he was getting his knee right. So he was fresh when it came down to being playoffs, even though in Milwaukee series, he was limping. Um, he seemed yeah. like playing on one leg. Yeah. But, um, no, he, he got it done. He took it to another level. But I knew he was capable, but I didn't see him ever turn out to be that type of player or bring it to that level. No, I don't think anybody's seen that coming. That mid-range is demoralizing. Yeah, Tommy's a big time Warrior fan, so yeah, that was heartbreak. was hard for him. It was heartbreak. I was just glad they, I was just glad they, uh, they won Game Five. I thought it was over when Kawhi went on that like eight zero run by himself. Yeah, that was a heartbreaker for us too. We were at home. Everybody thought we was gonna win. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't say we pre-celebrated or anything like that, but you know, Clay had been out of game with the hamstring and came back. It was a weird series. That was, was yeah, we definitely won all our games. We won all our games in a row. You never see that happen. So you guys didn't win a home game. We won one home game, and then like the next three. So we won. It, we won two in Golden State. We won games oh, wow. three. And it, we split at home. You so, had home court advantage too, right? I'm we pretty sure. Home court advantage. We yeah. we split at home, and we won the two on the road. So we went up three one going back to Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Lost yeah. at home again, and then ended up going to State and winning. So we won three on the road. That's yeah, I was sick. Tough. Congratulations, but I was sick. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you y'all won enough. There's no reason. For yeah, you that's facts. They got it back this year. They got yeah, it back this year. I got it back a couple years. Yeah, I got four of them. So, facts. Um, kind of speaking of championships and whatnot, you're you're a part of like a very elite group that have won a 
NCAA championship and an NBA championship. What is the difference in feeling of winning an NCAA championship versus an NBA championship? Huh. It's hard to say, man, because in the moment, you're like, this is it. This is what I've been living for my whole life. This is what I've been playing for my whole life. You know, in college, you don't know anything different. You're young. You watch the NCAA championship, and it's so hard because the best team doesn't always win. Right. <laughs> and you got to be healthy, and you got to be a lot of lucky, too. Um, and NCAA championship is a lot harder. The best teams usually in the NBA come out because it's a series. You got to win mm-hmm. and beat a team four times before you can move on. NCAA, you have one bad night, you're going home. You could be the best team in the country, the best team ever um, put together in the history of college, but you still may not win a national championship. You know, there's a lot of really good teams that never got a chance to win one um, because they had a bad night or one team had a great night and just shot lights out. Um, so winning that was kind of like winning the lottery, you know? So it's like, and I, as a kid, you know, it's a dream come true type thing. So when you're on that moment in that stage, you're like, this is the greatest thing feeling ever. Um, and anytime you win any championship, it's like that. So even in the NBA, it's like the greatest feeling ever. And especially after losing the way we lost them, that way I've won them, it's been very, you know, I wouldn't say lucky situations, but it's been situations where it's more gratifying and you appreciate a lot more because of the road you had to get there to get it done. Right. Losing one Miami, then come back and have to win one. And then, you know, like four or five years later, not getting back to the finals again and then going to a new organization where they didn't think you could be uh, effective outside of that organization and winning with another, you know, for a whole country, winning it again. Um, you know, the only one that to me I would say is expected was the LA one. You know, that one, they had high expectations. We were supposed to win. If we didn't win, it would have been a bust. Like, yeah. The other two were underdogs, underrated, and didn't see. And so you appreciate and that. And I enjoy everyone. But I think I appreciate the L.A. one, even though it was expected, is because it was such a rough year and the, the bubble was the hardest thing to ever do. Um, and COVID, everything that was happening. Yeah. So that, to me, is why that one was a special one. They're all special. They're all different. You know, people say, what's your favorite one? Like, can't pick your favorite kid. When you have three kids, and you're like, oh, well, <laughs> You love all your kids. You love them differently. They all came out, you know, different times, different ways. You remember, you know, what, what you were doing during that time, how hard it, you know, to, how hard it was to get there um, and what it took. So uh, they were all special in different ways. But the, the only one that was expected because we were so much better than everybody or because we had so much talent and we, they put so much money was L.A. one. Everybody's like, you know, front AD and they, all the pieces they put around them. Um, we were supposed to win that year. Yeah. Which, which ring is the nicest? That's hard to say, man. Um, obviously, as the years went on, the rings got bigger. You know what I'm saying? So, San Antonio ring was huge to me at the time, um, but it's the smallest one I have. But it's crazy to, for that ring to seem small to other ones. Toronto ring is is, is absolutely ridiculous. Um, it's probably the biggest one. Um, the LA one is really nice because it got purple diamonds and stuff. But it's, it's like medium, so it's hard for me to say you know which one is the nice, like since like your kids. But I think. Um, if, if most people, I think when they look at them, they probably say the LA one because uh, it's not too huge and it's got a little bit of flair to it, I guess. You know, the Toronto one's really nice too. Uh, Drake, all, had, Drake had a hand in designing the Toronto one, or what? <laughs> I would assume so. I think he got two different rings or two different designs. I'm sure he had a, he got, um, crazy. Yeah. the OVO it's, edition and then the regular between the edition. Toronto ring and LA ring. You, you would look at them and say, okay. San Antonio ring's really nice too because it was some years ago, 2014. It was eight years ago. I wouldn't say it's outdated, but it's smaller. It's not as updated as the new ones now. They're, they're huge and they have different people who take rings off. They have the back. They have this, they have so many different little gadgets to them now um, that makes it a little bit cooler. That's funny. Yeah. How how crazy was 
or how weird was playing in the bubble? Like what? Like, yeah, was, like that's just that just has to be the weirdest thing ever. It, yeah, it said it's the hardest thing I ever had to do. Um, I've been through some rough stuff, man. Uh, I think playing, I've played in some weird, some strange atmospheres. I think living in that space, playing in that space was the hardest thing to do. And I'm not the type to give money back or like pass up on a check. But if they told us we had to play in a bubble again, I don't think. Yeah, I might be able to keep that. I don't know if I'm going to do that. I retire at, at, at year 14 will be it. Not good for our mental health, man. But How long were you out there? How long are you guys out there? Because you won it all, so you were there for a minute. We were there for three four months. You know, so we got oh, there July. We didn't like October. We were, you know, we were there for a while. We, you know, obviously, you keep winning, you stay in longer. Yeah. We were there for, you know, damn 100 days. I don't know what exactly is, but we were there for like 100 days. That's nuts. Crazy. Yeah. That's just, yeah, that's... Well, the hardest, what the hardest was the hardest part, the just being isolated, or the or just like the food and like lack of like comfortability. I think just being isolated and not yeah. having the resource, but not just that. Also, like we we were only allowed a certain amount of staff, you know. Yeah. And when you got, I feel like we were understaffed when we got there. We allowed a little more as we went further. We some more staff came in, uh, but even still, not having the resources to go do stuff that you normally do in your day to day on your own if you wanted to go get you know, a hot tub or massage or something like that, or you wanted to go do a, you know, needling session, you know, like we had a good amount of stuff in there, but if you want to do your own stuff, remedies for your body and not have, like, I was not just banged up me- mentally, but physically too. Like it was, it was rough in there. There was a lot of injuries that happened, um, you know, not major injuries, but bumps, bruises, uh, but just being in that space and, and having to operate in that space for that long, I think is the toughest part more than anything. Yeah. Um, and the walls just start closing on you and it's hard to, and playing, you used to playing in front of fans your whole life. Not playing in front of fans is weird. Yeah, there's no energy. Like fake noise, but you have no energy of swinging the momentum. Yeah, that can build your confidence. That can break confidence. You're playing on the road. You see so many. You see. Well, you, we saw anyway. A couple teams come back down from three one in the same playoffs. That doesn't happen if you have yeah. road and home games. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so a couple teams did it in, in the same playoff series. And usually you might see it one time every couple of years or one in one playoff series, but not multiple times and yeah. multiple same playoffs. Denver you know, went back to back, right? Yeah, they did yeah. it back to back three one. You, know, you don't see it happen like that. Well especially since like I mean you know better than me, but it's like the NBA is so much about routine that's like I'm just can only imagine like what that does to your routine just your daily routine, you know, with shoot around and then going home and how you prep and what time you get to the arena and like because there was like restrictions on how much how many people could be in there and the locker rooms and all that right yeah for yeah, sure so. the, it definitely changed your routine it changed your everyday living and having to be around the same people every day sharing the space and testing every day like all those things come to account man um yeah. and it was the nicest setup that you could ever imagine it was really right. nice it up but no matter how nice you make jail it's still you know what i'm saying like yeah you still feel like you're locked in even though it wasn't jail but because you're in one space and you can't leave you still feel like you're locked up even though it's the nicest jail you ever but it still felt like we was locked up you know what i'm saying so yeah, yeah i, I got we leaving to win it i got one more thing to ask you danny here uh moving forward to now um obviously uh i got to see some of the stuff you've been doing over the last couple of weeks and months and um you know obviously i respect how much time you're putting in um 
what with all that you've accomplished and all that we've talked about, what really motivated you coming back from this inner injury to like, all right, I, I got it in me to like come back and I want something like what really pushed you to even come back? Like you have nothing left. You need to show anybody like you've had a great career, but what kind of allowed you to or ch- made you choose that? Many things, man. Um, well, first and foremost, just my competitive spirit. I've always taken on any challenge when people, especially when people doubt me. You know, for me, I thought it was, I wouldn't say offensive, but like for people thinking like, oh, he should retire or like this is over for him was like, nah, I'm, I got some good years left. So I, I need to prove these people like I need to prove these people wrong again. Um, but the fact that I am young, I felt I felt I had good years left and felt the fact that I don't want to end on that injury. And, the, you know, not winning or, you know, on my own terms, I would love to leave the court on my own ter- terms. That doesn't always happen. But I feel like I have some years in me to be able to hopefully leave the way I want to leave. But um, I think the biggest factor is me being competitive, taking on new challenges every year. And the fact that I always use the doubters and the people that, you know, I wouldn't say just criticize, but the, those that that, that uh, challenge that I, I can come back from or just don't think that I can come back from certain things, I use as motivational chips to be able to strive to do, you know, do that and do make history. You know, there's other ways you can make history. And um, for me, it's, it's coming back, you know, before they expect me to come back and actually being effective. Um, not many people have come back from multiple ligament um, injuries, multiple ligament surgeries. So um, in that sense, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, new challenges, make history. And I have other goals, though. You know, I still want to win more, um, but I, I want to play until a certain age. So I can't play anymore to a certain age. And, um, you know, I really, honestly, the last thing that I, I would love to be able to be a part of is a, a USA team and win a gold medal. Um, so I got, you know, obviously we kind of want to continue to focus on this and win while I'm playing here. Um, but I guess I got another year or so before the, the, the Olympics happens to give myself time to prepare and actually try to hopefully get invited to be, you know, uh, be a part of that team and stay young enough to be able to be ready and effective for, you know, the next two years in my career. So yeah. I feel like I have a lot more, a good amount to give. And I want to show and prove that in the next couple of years and until I feel like my body can't give as much anymore. Great walk on mentality. Right? Love it. Yeah. I like it. Love it. Gold medal is a great goal. Yeah, man. There's one so, more to the one more to the collection. I need need yeah. a trophy case. That's that's one thing that will that will put me at like all right. None of that good. Yeah. <laughs> like if I want to retire, I'm done. I don't need to do anything else. I need to prove anything. Else. Not that I need to prove anything, but to myself, that's just something that I would love to. And I've seen a couple guys, and I played with Matisse. He came back with his bronze, I think it was. You know, seeing that gold medal was, was dope. You know, I was having that in your house. Yeah. Like that's just. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, Luke, you know how much time we got left or what? Should be good. Um, if you got one more. I just got a short one. Uh, Danny, they're not going to tell you this, but Luke and Tommy are two of the best shooters that I've ever met. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Luke, Luke is going to end up being top five NCAA all-time career percentage. Mm. Okay. So uh, – Look forward to watching that, man. Um, but appreciate that. when you when we were in LA, you had some interesting takes and some thoughts on shooting. I just wanted to kind of let you spread your knowledge here. For and, sure. Uh, what I'm, you think I'm, about? And... I know I've worked a ton with Lethal, um, and even before him, I've had my my own little routine of certain things. But working with him has allowed me to see the inside of another the shooter. 
ended up in the films of habits, you know, in the funnels. But working with him, I said, as a shooter, obviously, it's all confidence mostly in this game, in this world, especially in the league, is confidence because confidence can make or break you. The only way to get, build that confidence is the repetition. And obviously, I say practice makes perfect, but perfect practice is what you want to build on. You want to perfect the things that you're doing in practice and make sure you're perfect in practice so that when it comes to game time, it's second nature. You know, obviously, guys work on fadeaways, this, that, and other, but when you have no defense, he's like working on you making sure, you know, you have no defense here. Make sure you get to that spot and stay, be balanced. Make sure you, you know, knock that down. Obviously, you can make some adjustments in the game, but, you know, slow yourself down right now. Make sure you get a good catch. Make sure you get your, your balance and your legs under you and make sure you're shooting it the same way every time. Um, so when I'm doing that, when I'm with him, even if I wasn't doing it with him, but shooting, repetition, and, and make sure you're putting the, the, the right reps in allows you to build confidence. So, you know, you want to have – you know, there's going to be ups and downs in everything, but especially in this league as a shooter in any league, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be waves. And when you have slumps, the best way to get through it is to shoot it out, but get back to the fundamentals and the basics. And for me, I said, it's making sure you're form shooting and making sure you're holding your shot, lock, leave, and stick, getting your balance, and shoot it the same way every time. And, you know, it'll come back to you. Get a good catch. That's what I remember. Get a good yeah. catch. You get, get a good, good catch. I asked you, you said, if I get a good catch, it's money. Yeah. A lot of times the passer makes a shooter. You hear that all the time. Cause, That's facts. You know, Got to find you in the pocket, and sometimes you might not find the pocket, but you got to make sure that even if they don't find you on time, on like on target on time, like you got to make sure that the ball gets to your pocket. So you got to make sure you got a good catch, grab it. If you don't have a good catch, you know we obviously, as humans, even as players, we the game is moving faster, so we speed ourselves. So you got to find ways to slow the game down. And if you don't have it right away, you can get up off it, or you take one dribble pull up. Usually, if you respect the shooter, they're gonna run you off the line. So you can find your shot um, off a bad catch, but. The biggest focus for me, once I get in my pocket, once any, I'm sure there's great shooters, you get in your pocket, the less to think about and it feels good and, and leaving your hands. So make sure you get a good catch and, and hone in on that first. You don't skip steps. And if you look at the basket before they catch it, that's when you drop the pass or, you know, you're doing other things. Make sure you catch, catch, look, look at the rim, stay locked in and stay in the shot. So getting a good catch is very important. Are you, uh, are you, uh, Look at the back rim guy. Follow the ball. What are you? I'm a front rim guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I look. I look to aim over the front of the rim. Okay. Okay. So some people aim for the back rim. You know, I was as a young age, my dad taught me, and that's what he taught me how to shoot. Is you know the thing in the front of the rim, you want to shoot over that. So it's like, but as I've gotten older and seen different, you know, theories, I see why people do back rim. You want nothing short. Yeah. Um, you know, in our league, because the line goes back a little further, so they're like, yo, nothing short. Get your legs into it. So I see why guys, you know, but to me, if you aim for back rim, I feel like more of a line drive type of situation. So yeah. over the front rim and, you know, get, make sure you get a lot of arc. And I, I notice when yeah. my shot is off, it's usually because it's a little more flat. Feel you there. What kind of, what, what kind of a mental state were you in in that 2013 finals when you broke the record, throwing it into an ocean? Locked in, man. I don't even realize – I was realizing that it was the finals. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was just trying to win. Can't miss. So like when you drown out the when you drown out the crowd, you drown out everything else, and you're just playing basketball to win. You know that's probably when you're playing your best and you're purest. Like I was having fun and just playing to win. I wasn't thinking about myself like, oh, I need to step up or I need to make shots or I need to do this for us. Now I was just like, nah, f them. Like they're supposed to be the number one team. Like we got to beat these guys and I'm going to prove to them that we can beat these guys. So we were all just so locked in at beating them. We didn't think about our individual performances of like, Oh, I need to, I didn't let the game, but most guys struggles usually let the game seep in and they overthink when you're not thinking you're just playing 
that's when you're playing your best basketball. So during that time, I was just playing and hooping and not even thinking about it. And I think it took me a couple months later, like, damn, I was just in the NBA finals. Like, I could have – I can't I was on that stage. and You know, it was, that's a big deal. You know, it was my first time there. But I'm like, I could have – if we would have won, I could have had a chance of winning finals MVP. Like, it was that crazy. I'm like, yeah. holy shit, I was in the NBA finals. Like, I, at the time, though, I didn't sink in. And I think yeah. my surroundings helped with that. You know, Pop helped with that. They didn't allow us to think about, you know, the, the stage or how bright the lights were. It was just – we got a job to do and we're going to go do it night in, night out, regardless of who was watching or how many cameras are on you. Yeah. Shut up. That's it. <laughs> All right. We, uh, we ready for our starting five shows? Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> There's been a lot of controversy leading up to this. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Danny, but, I keep smoking them and starting yeah. vibes. And yeah. they, they just, they're mad. I don't mean, say mad. It's Jared. I'm Jared's not mad. mad. Jared gets really mad when I, I win. I don't get mad because I was mad because you guys didn't understand what was happening. And now Luke has admitted today that what's really happening. End of the day, Danny, I'm racking up these wins. So you, oh. you know what starting five is going to be? I have my starting five tonight, but, I mean, we've got a we, – we're doing North Carolina starting five all time for the listeners. I don't know that I can beat an actual North Carolina player, so. Okay. Yeah, Danny, we'll let you set it off if you want, man. We all right. Let you go first. Um, my starting five for North Carolina. I'm gonna go with um Phil Ford at the one. Um, also not because of the fact that he was just great, but because he was a pioneer. Um, of course, Mike at the two, Vince at the three, um, Antoine Jameson at the four, mm-hmm. and I, I gotta. I want to put. I'm gonna have to go with Tyler Hansborough, all time. Cop. I gotta put Tyler at the five. He's my guy. And as a <laughs> as a walk on, as a walk on or coming off the bench, I have Sheet and Stackhouse. So like, depending on who was my sub, you know, I really like, yeah, I really like Sheet and Stack. So he's probably Stack or Sheet uh, as my walk on or coming off the bench for them. Those, there's too many people in Carolina to choose yeah, from. Yeah, that's great. Well, you gotta give you gotta give us one for yeah, walk. Just give us one. Someone yeah. someone super underrated. Yeah, you if you want if you want to put Rashid or Stag, that's cool. But I'm gonna think I'm probably gonna we'll we have come enough. back to the, we'll yeah, come we back to the I'll go with Sheed because we have Mike and Vince on the wings. Um, Stag, even though he's great, I don't think we need another wing with Mike and and Vince, and they probably play the whole game. So yeah, with Tyler and Tuan, they might need a sub. That are you need a big for a sub and a stretch four that can shoot it. So. If I go sheet. Love right. Who wants to go? Tommy, Tommy you can go, go, man. You, you, Tom, you're you the go. winner. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. <laughs> Stay mad, all right? I'm good. I got, I got my backcourt. I got I got the goat, obviously, at the two. At the one, I put I put Marcus Page at the one. At the three, I went. I had Jerry Stackhouse. I okay. thought I, I, I wanted to go Vince, but I figured one of us would put Vince. So I put Jerry Stackhouse. And then in the front court, I have. Bob McAdoo and Tyler Hansbro. Ooh, that's a good Mac is a good choice. Yeah, I do like the stack pick. I do like Marcus Pick, but so there's a lot of good ones. There's a lot there's of good, a lot of good ones. Yeah. Even even Ty, I'm biased with Ty Ray Felton. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, and I'm only I'm young, so I got to see that Marcus Page shot that yeah, crazy ass shot that he did. Career, man. He had help. Yeah, go ahead, Luke. All right. Um. So Danny, to preface this, uh, I'm a I'm a diehard Kings <laughs> fan, so just just be ready for some Kings players. Um, 
Okay. So okay. At the at the point guard, uh, Sacramento Kings draft pick himself, uh, Kenny Smith at the point guard. We're going uh, obviously MJ MJ at the two. I think that's a no brainer. I got Vince at the three as well. Uh, those have been those have been. Uh, oh, I like Kenny. Then we got uh, Bob McAdoo at the four, and then I actually put Rasheed Wallace at the five. So that that's my five. Uh, you know, I I think the Kenny Smith pick was going to be the difference one. So I think that I love it. Break I love it. I like Kenny at the one. Go Kenny crazy, was a Jared. Hey, yeah, I'm going. I mean. Like we said, the list could be very similar, but I had a lot of backups just to make it different. Mm-hmm. So at the point, I got Ed Coda. He's a good pick. At, a at, at the shooting guard, I mean, you have to go Jordan. Mm-hmm. Just you can't. Yeah. You can't. So at at the three though, I'm I'm running into some problems, but I'm gonna throw some names out there. I got Rashad McCants at the three. Okay. Wow. I got James Worthy at power forward. Okay. And I got Tyler Hansbro at the center. Psycho T. I, like, <laughs> I didn't think you were going to do James Worthy. Tyler Combo. Go, go um, backwards I'm here, Jared. Luke, the Sacramento players. I'm surprised you didn't put HB in there. Harrison. Yeah, I was thinking that's you were going to put Harrison pick. too. That's my walk-on pick. <laughs> yeah, number one player in the world in the nation. <laughs> what about that's my you, pick. Who's your walk-on pick? You're not ready. So I got two. I'm gonna have to pick, but I was trying to struggle between Joseph Forte and Sean May. Forty, forty was. Ooh, he was 40. so cold, but yeah. no one knows who he is. He was so cold. Oh, we know who he was. He give everybody forty every time we play. Forte. Yeah. I'm going was... Joseph. I'm going Joseph Forte for sure. Big May was the good too. He, yeah. he took him. A while. Work on his body to get to that year he had his junior year it was unbelievable. Yeah, won a title 17 and 12. It was nuts. But I'll take Joseph Forte, walk on pick. Good. I like it. Italian I legend. I had I had Marcus as my point guard. As the walk on, I had I had the dude that led him the rest of the way to get the championship the next year. I got Justin Jackson. Wow. wow. That's your okay. second Justin you Jackson like, pick, right? Bryce had left. I thought you were gonna say Bryce, but I think Bryce had left. I don't think. Yeah, Bryce was gone. I think Bryce. Another Kings player. Great. Another Kings player. I was actually debating on him or Theo Pinson because Theo Pinson was a bucket too. Yeah, Theo was a. He had a hell of a college career too. He's one of the funniest people alive. I just remember. I just remember Justin Jackson put the he he sealed the deal in the national championship. Yeah. Yeah, Theo was like strangely enough, he's like the first and only player in Carolina history to average like. 10, 5, and 5, yeah, something like that. he's just a bucket. He's just yeah. a bucket. He was like very all, his all-around player because he played yeah. played point guards from two, but he played all positions. He played defense, but to him, all the point guards there, I think Theo averaged, like the only person averaged like five rebounds and five assists. Like, That's crazy. Something crazy. Like, he has a weird stat like that. Crazy. A lot, of, so a lot Dan, of good players. So, Danny, you're going with, uh, you said Sheet? Yes, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Sheet on, um, on mine yeah. because I, Eight at the five, I can have him sub for Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. She, Twan, I, I, I'm biased to Tyler in my year, but if I was to go people outside of my year, I think I would go with She, Twan, you know, Vince, probably yeah. stack it, Mike, and have no point guard. But I have to put Phil forward in that conversation because he's a pioneer. Yeah. I, I would put that Mike, was- Vince, She, and Twan for the guys that I watched growing up. Um, yeah. Those yeah. would be my. Yeah, it's hard to leave Vince off, but 
I, I didn't want to have a repeat, so. Yeah. Well, but Danny, thank you so much for coming sure, on yeah. here. For sure. Before we before we wrap it up, I have to ask: Are you a golfer? I'm not. I know Keisha. I haven't gotten into it yet. Jared's an aspiring golfer, and I think he has some knowledge for you. Yeah, I, I need to get some lessons first. Um, I, I just don't have the time or patience just yet. I don't like doing stuff that I'm not good at, and it yeah. takes a, while, a lot of patience. We, yeah. we talked about this in LA, but I'm yeah. telling you, Danny. I'll get you don't, into need, it. you don't need any lessons. All you need is 50 chips a night. It'll get you right. Oh, I 50 need, chips I, a night will get you right. Swing. I don't even have a swing right now. I have to get a club and find me a swing. <laughs> chips are half swing, man. Half swing. You'll be good. All right. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Danny. I'm awful, too. So we'll get Luke that is one. actually insanely good. So, Yep. And that's why Luke and I are going to beat Jared and Keith in the 2v2 scramble. You heard Those it here guys first. Heard still it here delusional. First. You heard it here first. We'll videotape it. We'll send it to everybody. It's going to be glorious. You know what? I don't know what they put in the water in Pocatello, but they should get that checked out. Bro, we'll right. see where Keith's at in that time. I know Keith can't wait to get back on the golf course. Oh, yeah, he's dying. Yeah. But like we were saying, Danny, seriously, super blessed yeah, to have you, you on. Thank you, man. Thank you. Really appreciate sure. you. Sitting here listening to you talk about basketball is just incredible just coming from a great mind a real veteran nba champion and cla champion is so awesome thank you man it was a lot of fun big shout out to keith he made it happen i appreciate you guys for the time and yeah make, making it fun so you know yep. yeah i'm catch you guys soon i'm gonna get some food man it's time, yeah. time for me to eat yes, sir, man. Uh, uh, thank you everybody no. for uh listening in this has been episode 10 of the walk-on podcast double digits big time and as always, this is your favorite walk-ons, and we're walking out. <laughs>